morning. Morning. It's a good morning. The Patriots won last night. So, so for some of us, that makes it a great morning. It is really great to be with you guys. Uh, I uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here this morning, and I appreciate communion. That was just awesome. Uh, thank you so much uh, for sharing communion. Uh, it was great, uh, great personal sharing, bro. Appreciate it a lot. It was really good to, to hear you speak and get a chance to hear your story. Uh, you guys are an inspiration to me. Uh, when I heard about the, the board and the leadership's decision to contribute money to help another church, to be honest with you, my reaction was blown away. I was just blown away at the generosity, at the desire to help other people, to help other churches. Um, it also showed a sense of appreciation for what you've had a chance to experience as people helped you. Uh, and it just makes, it just, it sends such an incredible message. Uh, to the other New England churches about generosity and, and, and really looking out for each other. So I just want to say to you, thank you for that. It's great to be with Mike and Kristen and the leadership team, and it's just nice to be up here. People from New Hampshire say hello. They say hello, you, you Highland people, uh, you, you Upper Highland people. I think we're called the Lowlanders. Flatlanders. Sorry, we're, we're the Flatlanders, and so you guys are... Mountain people, I guess, or something. So. But it's great to be with you. Got a story for you. There was a Greek college professor in the 1990s who was a well-known uh, philosophy professor, and he's teaching a summer school class in the island of Crete. And while he's there, he's wrapping up the 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 the, uh, the semester, the summer session. With this class, it's the very last day of class. And as he closes out the very last day of class, you can imagine it's hot on the island of Crete in the summer, and the students are looking forward to disbanding and going about their way and getting out of class. And he asks, and, and so he asks the class a question. He says, uh, "Do you have, of all things we discussed this semester, do you have any questions?" And from the back of the room, he hears a masculine voice. And the student says, Professor, what is the meaning of life? All of a sudden in the class, there's a, there's a rumbling sound among the students. Because you see, they're looking forward to getting out of the hot room and getting away from class. And that one person asks that one question that you know is going to take some time to explain. And so he smiles, he says, uh, I believe I can answer that question for you. He reaches into his wallet, and pulls out, he opens his wallet, and he pulls out a small disc about the size of an American quarter. It's a mirror. He says, when I was a young child, we grew up and didn't have very much money. And so I received this little mirror as a Christmas gift. And growing up, I would use this mirror to do things that you probably shouldn't do as a young child, like start fires. You know, I put the, the I I take the, the the beams from the sun and I put them on ants, and I would kill ants. <laughs> and so over over my life, I began to look at the mirror in a much different way. 
I began to look in the mirror and realize that although I was able to control and manipulate the, the beams from the sun and direct them, I was not the one who created those beams from the sun. I just simply reflected them to whatever target I was aiming for. And as I got older, he said, I began to realize that I didn't have the power to create those, that light of those things. I was just simply a reflector of that. The meaning of life, he said, is very, very simple, my friends. The meaning of life is to be a reflection of your creator. That's the meaning of life. It's interesting when you compare that story to Genesis chapter 1, and I'd like you to open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 back in the very beginning. If you're not sure what Genesis is, it's the very first book of the Bible. If you're not sure what chapter 1 is, it's the very first chapter in the very first book of the Bible. Just trying to help as best I can. And it reads like this. God has spent this time creating the world around us. It's not a science book. It's a book about the heart of God, the creation of the universe and the world. But in verse 26, he says, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness, so that he may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock and over all the animals, and over all the, cre- all, I'm sorry, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them male and female. He created them. It's such a simple collection of of words, and yet they convey such an incredible rich idea. He says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. You see, the Hebrew word for image means the reproduction in form and substance, physical and spiritual. The Hebrew word for likeness here means it gives the idea of a resemblance and an outward similarity. In essence, what he's saying is man's nature is made in the image of God. He, he possesses divine qualities that are indestructible, which no animal owns or possesses. He is made in the very likeness of God. In character, he has the potential for divinity. Man is capable of approaching or receding from the likeness of God. You think about that mirror illustration, which is a true story, by the way. That mirror reflects whatever shines into it. And so if that mirror gets dusty or dirty or paint pink is slapped on it or covers it, it's not going to reflect the things around it because it's very limited. And so that mirror is just simply reflecting what's around it. And so if we live a life that isn't like the one God had destined for us to live, we're going to reflect that. If we live a life that is, is, is destined by what God has created us to be, that too will be a reflection. But let's be honest, sometimes as Christians, that mirror gets a little dusty, doesn't it? Sin kind of comes in and, and makes it a little dusty and, and difficult to see the reflection of our, of our Creator, of our Father, of our God, because of stuff that's going on in our lives. 
The great thing about a mirror is you just simply can spray it with something, wet it down, and take off that dirt, and it can look just like new and reflect whatever is looking into it. As Christians, we can do the same thing, can't we? Where our lives, even when we mess up, can be a, a reflection of the glory and the presence and the majesty of God. Or it can be receding and diminishing the likeness of the God who created us. Today I want to talk about holiness. Not H-O-L-I-N-E-S-S, but W-H-O-L-I-N-E-S-S-M-O-U-S-E. We'll talk about wholeness, holiness. The word whole comes from the Greek word holos, and it means all or entire or complete. It also comes from a word meaning completeness. What it means is that as human beings, as people, we are not just simply made up of very distinctive components, but we are the whole person. You follow me? When you, look at, when you look at me, I suspect, or at least I hope, you don't look at me and say, Oh, there's someone, there, there's two lungs and a heart and a stomach and intestines and maybe some body fat. But you don't look at me as those components. You look at me and say, Oh, there's Mike. And Mike is made up of those components, but not limited to those components. You follow me? Yeah. And so the whole, the, high, the whole idea of being a whole person, we're created in the very image of God. And we're created to be holy, to be set apart, to be different. Uh, holiness also can mean entire and complete. The whole idea that, that I want to try to convey to you this morning is that you and I were created in the wholeness of God to be holy. To be separate, to be distinctive, to be set apart. You see, I think sometimes Christianity is much like life where we we, we live in compartments. This morning, church starts at 10 o'clock. So I suspect on your calendars you have 10 o'clock to 11.30 or 12 o'clock or... You don't know, know the preacher all that well, so it could be 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock. You, you have this segment of time that you've committed to church. And, and tomorrow for work, you have a segment of time that you've committed, that you've allocated for work. Right? 9 to 5 or 8 to 4 or whatever it might be that you're working tomorrow or Tuesday. That, that our lives are, are compartmentalized. You know, I'm driving home after today and, and I, I have compartmentalized on my calendar drive time, Burlington, Vermont, to, to New Hampshire. And it's on my calendar and, and so we, we can compartmentalize our lives. Yeah. And when we do that, we miss the wholeness of what God wants to work within our lives. Let me give you an example. We have a quiet time in the morning, right? Yeah. We get up and we say, okay, here's my time with God. From 6.30 to 7.30 or whatever time works for you. You say, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. And this is my time with God. And so I'm devoting this one segment of time to God. And I'm going to share my faith today for an hour. So I'm going to go out on church street and walk up and down and invite people to church. And those are good things. But this is my time for that. 
And I'm going to help the poor on Saturday from 10 to 11 by doing this project. And, and so we compartmentalize and our Christianity can become like this compartmentalized life. What I'm talking about here is the wholeness. Who we are, and, and, and not what we do, but who we are as Christians. You follow me? Go through the Gospels and take a look at Jesus. Take a look at what He did. There's times when He's tired and He's talking to the woman at the well. It's early in the morning and He's going out and He's praying. And then His disciple comes. He spends time with His disciples. His Christianity, His life was not limited to compartments. It was who He was wherever He went all the time. You follow me? Yeah. Living holy lives holy. Look in Galatians chapter 2 with me for a second. Galatians chapter 2. Paul kind of captures what we're talking about here. It's a great passage. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I remember this passage when I studied the Bible a long time ago. And when I was getting ready to get baptized. Because I remember this passage, people were gathering around in church. I went to a church of about 1,200 people. And so they're gathering. It's a worship service. And I go down. I'm going to get baptized. And everybody's so excited about this person becoming a Christian. But me. Because I kept thinking, I'm being crucified. And this isn't some religious experience. I am being crucified. And I no longer live. But it's Christ that lives in me. Now, that's the exciting part. Yeah. But, but I'm dying. I'm dying here. It was pretty sobering. But Paul says here, he goes, look at this, this thing. He says, I no longer live. I'm gone. I'm dead. I no longer live. Mike Fix no longer lives the way he used to live. Amen. And he says, and Christ lives in me. Christ now dwells in my life, Paul saying, my priorities, my decisions all reflect Him now rather than myself. And the life I now live, His life has changed. Let me tell you something, my friends. This is a whole reference to His becoming a Christian at baptism. He's saying, I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I used to live, I don't live that way anymore. I'm a new creation in the eyes of God. He was different. It was no longer he was becoming part of an organization. His life was different. In Ephesians chapter 2, turn there with me for a second. Ephesians chapter 2. You see, when we become Christians, we no longer live. But it's Christ that lives in us. We become the reflection of Christ to those around us. Isn't that pretty cool? We become the reflection of Christ around us. Now you may be sitting here thinking, well, I'm feeling a lot of pressure right now. I'm not that good. I've done some things in my life that I wish I did do. Amen. Welcome to the club. Welcome to humanity. Yeah. Welcome to humanity. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, he says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. You have been saved by the grace and the mercy of God. Not by any amazing things that you've done. 
God has not been impressed with your repentance. He's not amazed with how bold you are now. It's just simply you have been saved by the grace and the mercy of God through your faith in Him. And this is not from yourself, so you can't walk around and boast and point to yourself. It's simply a gift from God. But then he says something in verse 10 that's really interesting. He says, for we are God's handiwork. We are God's handiwork. We are created in the image and the likeness of God. And he says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you realize that? You and I have been created in the image of God to be like Him, to reflect Him. Right. And that you and I have been created so that we can do good works. Good works. Not works so that you can become a favorable son to God or daughter to God, but works because you are a son or a daughter of God. And then he's, he's set down, he's, he's figured out, he's prepared in advance for those things that he wants you to do. And so Christianity is not becoming a Christian and sitting back and cruising through life. God created things for us to do. I think that's pretty exciting. He's given me a purpose, a reason for being on this earth. The reason for me existing on this earth is not so that I can have a big house and make lots of money and and have all kinds of cars, although it would be nice to have all those things. But that's not what my life is about. It's about fulfilling the things that He's created for me to do. Those works. Sometimes we resist the idea of works. Nah. Nah. Don't make works on me. Sure. Well, I'm not. God did. You want a great Bible study? Go through the Bible and take a look at some of the works that God has created for you to do. What are some of those things that He's created for you to do? Well, I'm going to narrow down a couple of them that I found. You can look over in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Come on, Mike. Starting in verse 1. Jesus left there. And went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get this get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that he has been given? What are those remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And watch this. And they took offense at him. Verse 6. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. Verse 12. They then went out and preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with holy oil uh, many sick people and healing them. I believe that this is the model for the good works that God has created for us to do as Christians. To simply go out and preach and teach and heal. Preach and teach and heal. Let's talk about preaching for a second. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, 
it says in the NIV, go, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. My son, who is 25 years old and lives in Atlanta, Georgia, boo, he said, Dad, I found another translation and it said, As you go, make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and so on. As you go. I'm convinced that the preaching he's talking about here is not simply limited to going out this moment or that moment. It's who we are. It's who we are. There's a couple that came to a workshop that we were doing on parenting. They never were invited to church. They came up afterwards and said, can you sit with us and help us because we're separated and we want to get a divorce? And so we sat down. The wife called me and said, I want you to know that my husband has been to meet with another minister and hated it. And the minister used the Bible and rebuked him and challenged him. And so my husband doesn't want you to use the Bible. So they came and sat down with us and and uh, I said, I didn't address the issues from the past. I just simply said, I want you to understand that this is who I am. This is what I believe. I'll be glad to help you, free of charge. This is not, I'm not charging you for these, these times together. But I have to use the Scriptures. But I'm not going to beat you up. I'm just going to show you what the Scriptures teach. Amen. And after the first appointment, he agreed to the second appointment and the third appointment. And now, he's studying the Bible with me. Amen. Now... He's coming to church. And he wasn't invited to church. It wasn't a, an evangelistic moment. It was just a moment of being a Christian, being a light, at a moment that made that he was in need. There's another guy, and I'm not sure what your opinions are on this, but I'll go ahead and tell you anyway that uh, I have uh, been, real, I'm, I'm living out a childhood fantasy. I'm going through a midlife crisis. And so I'm living out childhood fantasy. I'm learning how to shoot a gun. Never shot a gun. And, uh, and so I go to a range. I've taken lessons and, and you know, training, all that kind of stuff. And so I went to a range one time. After I had, this year, after I had performed a funeral for a 13-year-old boy who died because he choked on bread. That's a tough one. So after the funeral, I go to the, the shooting range in my suit I walk in there and and uh, I just said, look, I just I just need some mental kind of empty box time, and so I thought I'd come here and just shoot a little bit and just kind of be able to escape, not escape, but just kind of you know pu- push aside something that's pretty tough to deal with. And so the guy started talking to me. Uh, one of the range instructors started talking to me, and from that time we just kind of built a friendship. A couple months later. Uh, I had another brother who was a former Marine who's in there with me, and we're practicing, we're you know, shooting, he's working on his rifles and all these different kind of things. And Alan came up to me afterwards, after we were done, and he says, the rings came in. Like, I honestly looked down at my gun thinking, the rings, what rings are you talking about? And he goes, the rings came in. And I said, Alan, I am so I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> the rings came in. I mean, this is kind of weird. He goes, the wedding bands, they came in. 
and I guess I was supposed to be excited about it. Evidently, he told me he was engaged, but I didn't remember it. So he's all excited, and then we're both looking at each other, kind of like, oh, this is an awkward moment. And he looks at me and he says, Mike goes, um, I don't know if you would do this, but I'd like, for you to do, I'd like to ask you to do my wedding. And so Alan, I said, uh, boy, that's an honor, that's real exciting. I have a principle that I follow when I do any wedding. Because I said, for me, when I sign my name on that dotted line, uh, I take very seriously that I'm doing it. This is not just simply a routine for me. I really take into account that I feel confident about this couple getting married. And so for me to do your wedding, I'd have to sit down with your fiancé and yourself at least four times to do counseling. And he looks at me and he goes, well, Mike, she's been married before, I've been married before, and Cam, who was also married before, and Cam, who, who uh, this is how I actually got introduced to Cam. He wanted to get married, sat down to do his, uh, to do his wedding, and uh, I'll tell you his story in just a minute, but uh, Cam goes, uh, Alan, that's exactly why you need it. If you've been married before, this is exactly why you need this kind of counseling. A good, solid foundation, he says. And so Alan has asked me to do his wedding. I've never met his fiancée, so we're going to have, her over, have them over for dinner and sit down and talk. And Alan said something that Cam said when I first sat down with them. Alan said, I'm committed to my religion, kind of. I don't go to church or temple, but I am a Jew, is what it was his, his background. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, you're not going to convert me or anything like that. I said, Alan, I'm doing this because you asked me to do it. I'm going to use the scriptures when we, when we get together and talk, but that's not what this is about. And so, so Alan and Cam remembered the exact same speech I gave him when he came. And Cam goes, I'm Catholic. I'm not, I'm not joining your church. I'm not interested in your church. I just want to get married. Great, Cam. Here's the deal. You want to study the Bible? I will study the Bible with you anytime you want to, day or night. And this is the last time I'm going to offer it to you. So, it's an open book, open invitation, anytime you want. I just don't want you to think every time we get together, it's me recruiting you to become part of my church. Cam gets married. Two months later, he comes back and says, uh, can you say the Bible with me? He gets baptized. His wife comes back and says, can you say the Bible with me? With my wife. And she gets baptized. And now they lead house churches in our ministry. And you look at this thing. The funny thing is with Alan, the guy at the instructor, he came up to me and he goes, Mike, he goes, um, I was actually thinking of checking out your church. You're not going to make me stand up, are you? If I come, you're not going to make me stand up. And I said, Alan, I wouldn't do that to anybody, certainly not a man who carries a handgun because he's a former police officer and he's a trained, <laughs> and he's a trained uh, handgun expert. So absolutely I will not call on you to stand up at church. I never once invited Alan to church. It was just as you go, as you build a relationship with people, as, as they see that you care about them and you love them so much, and you're interested in their lives. My son, who's a, a, an employee down in, in um, Atlanta, Georgia, was sharing with me. He goes, Dad, he goes, really interesting. All my job, he works a career builder. 
uh, he's climbing, he's, he's getting promoted like every six months, it seems like, and advancing and incredible and just doing all kinds of guys using him in amazing ways. He's got a friend, a co-worker named Gaines, who they work out at the gym and then they read the Bible together every week. And Gaines comes to church with them. I met Gaines. He's a really cool young guy. What's fascinating, Kyle said, Dad, he goes, you know, it's interesting. because I don't really talk. I don't invite people like through my office or share with them. But they come to me. He said, I had a co-worker who's asked me to do her wedding. I've never done a wedding. I don't even know why she think I'd be the one to do. But she asked me, through working together, hey, would you perform our wedding? Would you do our wedding? And so I think in January of 2016, he'll be doing his first wedding ever. And he's got games. And now he has the CEO of the company and the president of the company having him over for dinner. A few weeks ago, he went over for dinner with a couple of the directors on the board and, and the vice president and chairman of the, of the uh, CEO of the company and over to their house just to have a dinner. He goes in there and he says, uh, I said, Kyle, why are they having you for dinner? He goes, I don't know, and I'm just going over for dinner. I have no idea. And I called him the next day after dinner and he says, Dad, it's kind of, I said, so how was dinner last night? Of course, let me be curious, Dad. And how was dinner last night? And he says, Dad, it's, it's kind of, it's pretty cool. Uh, he, didn't, he said, we didn't talk shop. What'd you talk about? Just talked about our lives and things we believe and value. And just talked about life. <laughs> you were being interviewed. <laughs> they were interviewing you. What kind of character are you? They have vision for you to excel in the company. He goes, yeah, it's kind of weird. He goes, I have dinner with, I have lunch with the vice president of the company every week, and we talk about spiritual things. You see, he's not going out just saying, make disciples, make disciples, make disciples, make disciples. It's just simply letting his light shine, being a reflection of the king, of the creator. And people are saying, there's something different about you. There's something different because you're reflecting not what every other human being reflects. You're reflecting something that's brilliant and greater. The wholeness. Yep. Now understand, Jesus sent out the twelve to go preach. So I'm not advocating, therefore, don't go out and preach, or don't go out and share your faith, or don't have times to do that. But it makes no sense to me to go out and share our faith for an hour, and then... Not talk to somebody at, when we're getting gas at the gas station and we're filling up the pump and we don't talk to that person because that's not part of our allocated hour right. on sharing our faith. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't make sense. It's who we are. Yeah. It's who we are inside and what we're reflecting inside. Let's talk about teaching. He says, as you go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and then teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Relationships with one another. Teaching one another. Sitting down and making sure that our Bibles are open when we're talking to one another, when we're advising one another, when we're seeking advice and counsel, that the Word of God is there, that the Word's God, Word of God is guiding us and teaching us. But I've got to tell you, I am so grateful for the men who have been in my life over the years to help me when I, when I deviate from the path that God has set out for me, to call me back to that path. Relationships. Relationships. Having people in your life 
that love you enough to shoot straight with you. There's a gentleman I'm getting with now, studying the Bible with, and he sat down and, and we actually met Panera Bread this past week. And he said, Mike, he goes, uh, I have only two people in my life that I can tell anything to because I know that they will shoot straight with me. A friend who lives in Washington, D.C. and you. Because we've had some, some hard talks about some decisions that he's made. And he could have easily run away and got all mad and huffy and all that kind of stuff. But instead he looks at it as, thank you. Because you are willing Amen. to look me in the eye and talk to me man to man as you're straight with me. Amen. Now I'd love to say that it's incredible talent and ability on my part. <laughs> and it's just something that God's lucky to have me. But the truth of the matter is I've had to learn how to do that over the years. I've had to walk with men who are willing to sit down with me and share things with me that I didn't want to hear, but I needed to hear. And also to encourage me, to build me up, to to lift me up, to help me when I was down and not seeing things clearly, and that they were willing to invest the time to, to tell me the truth. I have two brothers, I have a number of brothers I get with, but there's two brothers in my ministry, Carl Christensen, who will be preaching in December up here, and, and Mike Villars, who is a, just a dear brother of mine. We get together every Wednesday morning at 6.30. Uh, we found, for us personally, that having three is actually working a little bit better than just two of us together. Because to have that third person's perspective is really, really helpful. You know, as you're talking and different life experiences and what have you. So it works for us, not for everybody, but it works for us. But these guys know me. I mean, we're sitting in Panera at 6.30 in the morning every Wednesday morning. They know our name. It's so humbling. They, they, they actually know what we're going to order when we walk up. The woman's name is Elizabeth. And she's, oh, hey, Mike, uh, coffee and, you know, whatever, breakfast sandwich or whatever it might be. It's so stinking humbling to think we're there that much, that we're that, well, that, we're that known. But we get together and we'll sit there and we'll laugh a ton. We'll cry some. We'll confess some. The Bible's open. We'll share our lives with each other. We'll help each other. We'll dig and probe and, and be engaged in each other. And we can walk away confidently knowing that we are reflecting the glory of God. Amen. That we are different because of our time uh, being together. There is nothing like one another relationships. And if you don't have them, let me plead with you, beg you, threaten you, challenge you. Get them. Get them. They're good for a lifetime. And finally, talks here. The third area we talked about of good things to do is is healing. I'm not talking about laying on hands and you know things you see on television, those kind of things. I'm talking about people need healed. People are hurt. They need healed. There, there, there are things in their lives that are painful and are difficult, and they need healing. Sometimes it's physical healing, sometimes it's spiritual healing, sometimes it's emotional healing, but people need healing. I compartmentalized this whole idea through our hope. 
we have a hope chapter in New Hampshire, and we do we do a number of hope activities. And so that was my service to healing people was every July, every September at NASCAR. We do some work there, uh, walking around the neighborhood, handing things out. The, the, this was my this was my uh, hope, uh, my my effort to help people it was when we had scheduled events. And I got really convicted about it one time, and I drove past the man who was asking for money. And I, I didn't even reach into my wallet to help him. And I thought, man, is it because it's not scheduled during our hope time? Or is it because of my heart? I came to conclusions because of my heart, because I just didn't care. And I really had to repent and get help to repent and change, but, but things are different now for me and for our church. Because it's no longer, this is, a, this is the time we're focusing on helping people. It's, this is who I am. And so there's actual times I'll drive a certain way, knowing I'll run into people that are soliciting money or asking for money. In the church, we made up these, we call them blessing bags. Our teens come up with the idea. We published these little, we made these little bags. In the bags, we put like bottled water, granola bars, uh, there's, you know, a scripture in the bag, and uh, I put cash in the bag. And it's, it's so awesome because it has all these different things. I think lip gloss and toothbrush and toothpaste and just kind of things that you think could help people. And I, this week I was driving at this place where usually you find people that are looking for jobs or money or whatever it might be. And we're driving up and I roll down the window at the intersection and I take some money. I put the money in the bag and I put the bag out the window and hand it to the guy and drove off. It has a scripture on it. It has the, the website of the church. But the biggest thing is, it's a way to say, here's some, something that can help you. Here's something that can help you. And it was the idea of our teens to do it. And it was so brilliant. Because it makes... I have, you know, when I traveled home, I have a bag in the front seat right there. So I find somebody, here's a bag. Here's a bag to help you out. Because I'm the kind of person I can compartmentalize things. And so the power of being able to be aware and trying to help people who are in need. You have been created in the image of God, in the likeness of God. You're that reflection of God in this world. And you have an opportunity to change people's lives. You don't even get this. You gave $15,000 to help another church, and you think, oh, okay, all right. Some of you are probably thinking, that's great. Some might be thinking, boy, it seems like a lot of money. Some of you may be thinking all kinds of different things. You have no idea the impact that your sacrifice makes to help other people. Yeah. No idea. And you know, the truth is, you probably won't hear about it. You probably won't hear about it. Someday you run into a disciple that got baptized sometime after September 2015, and hopefully you'll make the connection. You know, because of our donation and to help them, help that church, that person had a chance to be reached out to and to, and to make Jesus the Lord of their lives. Mm-hmm. You can just simply let it go. But it's amazing what God will do because you've been created in His image. You are the reflection of the King. Every time you smile, every time you hug, every time you say a kind word, every time you love somebody the way he would, you are a reflection of God. Denzel Washington, in closing, Denzel Washington said, he's the Academy Award actor, 
who was also the son of a preacher growing up. He grew up spending lots of times in church and had aspirations to one day stand in the pulpit and preach himself. He's not a preacher today. But he does this one thing each morning when he wakes up. He said, Put your slippers way under your bed at night. So when you get up in the morning, you have to get on your knees to find them. And while you're down there, start your day with a prayer. Ask for wisdom. Ask for understanding, he said. Don't aspire to make a living. Aspire to make a difference. Don't aspire to make a living. Aspire to make a difference. God created you and me so that we could do the good works that he had planned in advance for us to do and so that you and I can make a difference. Amen.